The Long Box Crusade presents monthly Monday movie muckabout because the podcasting world needs yet another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. I have a huge collection of movies, and I am really surprised when I talk to somebody and find out that they have not seen a movie that I call a classic or something that they should have seen. So to rectify this, I find out movies that people have not seen, sit down with them, and then make them watch a movie. And then we talk about their thoughts and impressions. And this time, I've got an interesting guest. A lot of my coworkers have heard me talk about doing podcasts and have heard me talk about my different things that I like. And one of them finally stepped up to the plate and decided that he wanted to see what this is all about. And he decided to try out sitting in the hot seat, letting me throw a movie at him. So I would like to introduce my coworker, Jason. Jason, how you doing, man? Doing all right. Glad to be here. <laughs> I should ask, what made you decide to uh, try this out? You are not a professional podcaster. You're not somebody who normally does this kind of thing. Why did you decide to take a chance at reviewing a movie with me? Well, for a few reasons. One, I love movies, but there's plenty I haven't seen out there. And two, I've always wanted to be on a podcast. So this is actually really cool to me. I've been telling everybody that I'm going on this podcast and everybody's like, you got to tell me about this podcast. So when I explain <laughs> it, they're like, oh my gosh, you got to send that to me because I love movies. So that is good to me. I like hearing that. And anytime we can like spread the word about our show and about the Longbox Crusade Network, that makes us happy because the more people listen to us and we get a lot of those non-dollars sent to us, which is the thing we are looking for is that not money being sent to us. <laughs> so you said that you love movies, but you don't get a chance to see that many. What kind of movies do you normally watch or what movies do you actually sit, uh, get an opportunity to see? Oh man, probably among my favorites is the John Wick series, Inception, things like that. I kind of like Mind benders like Murder on the Orient Express, Knives Out, A Clue, those are all fantastic movies. So pretty much anything murder, mystery, or action, and I'm there. I grew up on The Matrix, so those are like my favorite movies. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's interesting. I like the fact that you've got an interest in those kinds of more cerebral, a little bit action-y kind of puzzle piece type of movies, because I think that's going to really lead into the movie that I have decided to choose for you. Are you ready for me to tell you what that movie is? Yes. Excited. All right. Jason, I would like you to sit down and watch the 2001 Christopher Nolan psychological thriller Memento. Now, this movie stars Guy Pierce. Carrie Ann Moss, and Joe Pantoliano, or as I like to call him, Joey Pants. This was a very, very interesting movie that I really, really enjoyed and, and loved a lot back in the day. But what do you know about this movie? I've heard that this is just a super trippy movie that is really super difficult to explain. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it... it seems like from what i've heard based on what my father has told me that it's just got a lot of twists and turns that you weren't necessarily expecting that's all i really know about this movie that and guy pierce is in it and i can tell you what the dvd cover looks like 
<laughs> yeah, that flashed up my copy of it, which is not the normal DVD cover. I actually have a very interesting version of this. This is kind of a a special edition version of Memento that has is kind of set up like you're looking at a psychological report. And I had to get this because I really enjoyed the movie a lot. I thought that this was a very cool artifact of the movie. And it's it had a lot of extra stuff that I really wanted to dive into as I started looking at this movie after it came out. Why didn't you see this movie? It sounds like your father talked to you about it. Why haven't you had a chance to pick this one up yet? So... This movie came out in 2001. I want to say this is one of those movies that my parents were like, you're not going to watch that in 2001. I think I was I was 11 years old at the time this movie came out. So uh, there was no way my parents were going to let me watch that. I think I, I had actually watched some other trippy movie. I, I don't remember if it was Inception or if it was something else. But I remember describing that to my dad and he was like, if you like that, then you should watch Memento. And then I just never got around to. <laughs> well, you have made me feel incredibly, incredibly old by saying that you were 11 when this came out, because I remember going and seeing this in the theater with my friends, and I possibly, possibly could have been drinking at the time. Yeah, there is that. But I'm not going to hold that against you. What I am going to do is I'm going to set you off into the world so that you can watch this. And as for us, we are going to listen to the trailer that came out with the movie. And after that's done, Jason will be back. He will have seen the movie and hopefully you will have to. So we will see you on the other side of this trailer. I guess I've already told you about my condition. Funny every time I see you. You don't remember where you've been or what you've just done. I can't make new memories. Everything just fades. What's the last thing you do remember? My wife. That's sweet. Dying. You really want to get this guy, don't you? My wife deserves vengeance. When you find this guy, what are you going to do? Kill him. Somebody's got to pay, Lenny. Somebody always pays. You have to be very careful. You wander around playing detective. Maybe you should start investigating yourself. This guy is so dangerous. He's going to kill me. Who is he? What do you want from me? I want my life back! Someone's trying to get me to kill the wrong guy. You can question everything. You can never know anything for sure. There are things you know for sure. You can't trust him. Even if you get revenge, you're not going to remember it. You're not even going to know that it happened. Who did this to you? You did. You don't know who you are. And we are back. We just had an opportunity to listen to the advertisement from 2000's Memento, directed by Christopher Nolan. And before we give Jason an opportunity to talk about the movie and his thoughts, I want to give a brief, quick synopsis of the film for those of you that have not seen it. First of all, shame on you. You should go watch it. But if you didn't and you can't, let me give you this synopsis. Here are the facts. Leonard Shelby was an insurance investigator prior to developing a condition. He suffered a head injury during a home invasion, resulting in an inability to have short-term memories or create any new permanent memories. Thanks to a plethora of tattoos on his body, Leonard is able to chronicle the results of his investigation into the murder of his wife. He knows that memories cannot be trusted. But how about those facts? In order for the audience to experience the same memory loss as the protagonist, the director presents scenes in reverse order 
interspliced with scenes from the beginning of the story, creating a complex narrative and a mystery. So Jason, what was your first impression of this film? Oh man, that was probably one of the best films I've ever seen. Definitely in the top 10. It is unlike any film I've ever seen. But I have to say, I thought I knew Christopher Nolan's work. And after watching this movie, I was like, I don't know anything about Christopher Nolan because this is probably his best movie, in my personal opinion, in comparison to things like Inception. But this was just absolutely spectacular. I mean, I'm a sucker for movies in the way they start out Mm -hmm. and in the way they end. And just the way this movie starts with him with the Polaroid picture and he's shaking it. And as he shakes it, instead of rendering the picture that's already rendered, it goes to black, like in reverse order. And having not known the synopsis or what this movie was about ahead of time, I see that and it puts me into a perspective immediately of kind of what's going to happen and then we go into these series of just event after event after event yeah i guess the first thing we really need to talk about about this film is the setup of how the film is presented to you and the order in which scenes are presented because before we can actually talk about the content of the film we need to understand the structure of the film and what is usually done in most films is you have a narrative structure of A, then B, then C, then D. Sometimes you're going to have a structure, especially in film noir, where this film sits, of it being within a flashback or a telling of a story from usually the detective or or the, the main character's point of view. And so you'll have a retelling of a story from a certain person's point of view at the end of the story, but still, you're still walking through it in a pretty straightforward narrative context. You'll have some movies like Pulp Fiction, which play around with the narrative a little bit, where they have different scenes that take place at different times, sometimes overlapping scenes. But still, there is a a follow-through that you can go. This film doesn't do any of that at all. And you're right, Jason. Right at the beginning, you get that, that preamble, that setup for it, with the first scene being done in reverse, leading up to the killing of a character. Mm-hmm. And from there on, you have this reverse interspliced order there is one long scene that's all in black and white that is that is the actual beginning of the film and that is where you have him in a hotel room and he's talking on the phone with somebody and then he goes outside and he meets up with joey pantaloni's character and then you have the rest of the movie which is where he meets up with joey pantaloni's character goes through a series of events and ends up killing him so the final scene of the movie is him actually killing joey pantaloni's character as the first scene of the movie. So it is all mixed up. It is incredibly mixed up. (laughs) Right. I think what I understood, right, the black and white scenes are kind of in forward motion, moving forward through time, as the colored scenes are going backwards through time. Yes, that is correct. So you have that interspliced as well, is that the the colored scenes are actually starting with the end of the, the, the absolute end of the movie, and moving back to where the, the black and white scenes will end. So it, it's it's all kind of mixed together into a, a kind of a big spiral, meaning that the last two scenes are going to connect at the very end, and it's going to tie the entire movie together in one long loop. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you were told that this is a very intense, interesting movie. Did you meet your expectations of that? <laughs> I will say that had I watched this when I was 10 years old, 
I probably would not have enjoyed this movie, but having lived life, right, and <laughs> having a greater understanding, this has more than exceeded my expectations. I think one of the things that I can really appreciate about this film is that it puts you in a place inside that character's mind, right? Yep. It's like Lenny is constantly living effect without cause because of his condition and his lack of short-term memory loss. And I think a movie that is able to do that and put you into the character's seat and keep you confused because you know what? Lenny is confused. I think that is just spectacular way of filmmaking. Yeah. That's it. And that's exactly what Christopher Nolan was trying to do is he was trying to replicate that condition to put the audience member in that space. You're able to put, the longer term effects together because you're able to remember a couple of things that happened, but you still are confused. You're off put by it. It takes you a while to, to remember what's happening, especially as you keep jumping in these scenes where it starts off with guy Pierce looking at a bottle in his hand and him saying, well, I don't feel drunk. (laughs) (laughs) So he doesn't know where he got here, but you know, and we don't either because we haven't seen the scene that leads into this yet because right. that's going to be further down the line. So we're trying to play catch up the entire time as well and trying to, it's almost like we're trying to sit there with our own Manila folder, adding in clues about what's going on and what's happening and who these people are. I guess the way we can tackle this is let's talk about the characters. Uh, there are three main characters. It's really a story about three people, even though there's sub characters. But we should talk about these three characters. Uh, let's. Which one do you want to start with? Let's see. We have Lenny, mm-hmm. which is Guy Pierce, and then we have Joe Pantoleon. We call him Joey Pants. It's much easier. <laughs> All right, Joey Pants. It is, and he he plays Teddy. Teddy, who is also John Gamble. Yep. And then we also have the lady from the Matrix, Carrie Ann Moss, as Natalie, and spectacular actress. It's actually really refreshing to see her in a different role. Yes. Because I only know her from The Matrix, and so having watched this is like a newfound respect for her. So I would say, let's just start with the main character here, Lenny. All right. Leonard Shelby, our insurance salesman who has a condition. What did you think about Guy Pierce's character, his role in this? I mean, he was absolutely the most intriguing part of this whole story. I mean, without Lenny and his condition, you don't have a movie. Right. It's interesting to to start out, you feel for him. You feel for him a lot. You're like, I feel bad for this guy because his wife was raped and murdered. Mm-hmm. And I hope he gets the revenge that he deserves. Yeah. And then slowly over time, you start feeling even worse for him because people are taking advantage of him over and over again. You kind of have this respect for him because... In that bar scene, he's talking to Teddy and he's talking about how facts and evidence are important in, you know, catching a murder. Yeah. Right. And so you, you start to really like this character and everything that he's doing. So even the act that he did for Carrie Ann Moss's character, he did because he wanted to help her yeah. in her time of need. He was just seemed like an upstanding guy. But then slowly over time, you start to realize, oh, wow, like this guy is actively lying to himself to provide himself with purpose. Yeah. But the question is, does he know he's doing it or not? He makes those decisions 
in times of passion, in times of anger, and he's reacting on it, and he's lying to himself, and he's got the luxury of forgetting that he did so. So it's a question of, is it okay that he's doing it, or is it not okay that he's doing it? He made a rash decision with serious consequences. (laughs) (laughs) I think in a real-world application, no, it's not okay that he's doing it. In a real-world application, Will will say it honestly here, he is a uh, serial killer. He is a serial (laughs) killer. I mean, if you really think about it, and I did take notes for this, Mm -hmm. one of my notes is that he is probably the best or perfect person to have as a hitman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He constantly forgets everything. And yes, that is a luxury. That's what Teddy has crafted, is Teddy has crafted him as a hitman. Right. And I, I think Carrie Ann Moss's character found that out mm-hmm. eventually as well. Yeah. She figured out how to use him. But everybody figures out how to use him because, unfortunately, Lenny tells everybody the key about how he can be used. Here's my condition. This is what's going on. Even even Bert, the guy at the, the hotel, he's like, oh, Well, this is an easy way to make a buck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's he's just a fantastic and complex character. And I I think I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the Sammy Jenkins storyline. Like I said, this is a movie about three characters. But the fourth character I'd almost shove in there is Stephen Tobolowsky as Sammy Jenkins. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about him. So... That was confusing to me at first, because that's where I kind of started losing respect for Lenny a little bit when he's on the phone and he's talking about how he's an insurance person Mm -hmm. and he's talking about Sammy Jenkins's storyline. And then he even has the tattoo on his hand so he can see it very readily Mm -hmm. and he's able to see, remember, Sammy Jenkins. And then up to the end there, when he is in the basement killing Jimmy Grant's, And Jimmy whispers in his ear, Sammy. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of clicks with you. Like, oh, crap. Lenny is Sammy. Yeah. And, you know, thinking back, you're like, oh, so his wife was raped, but not murdered. Well, here's the, here's the thing is that, is that he's, he's not really Sammy there. He, Sammy was a real person, and Sammy, it just so happens that he was an insurance salesman, and Sammy had this condition, and so he knew of this. But the catch of it is, is that where Sammy was somebody who caught and they put into a home, he's conflicted. He has actually learned something. There is some memories that did get made. It's just that they got crossed. His memories of Sammy got intertwined with his own memories of what happened to his wife. So he took the storyline of Sammy and put on the storyline of his wife at the end of it. So he's got the same condition that Sammy's got. And it's just that the things that he thought Sammy did to his wife were things that he did to his wife. Interesting. Yeah. I, I also think it's interesting just Lenny's drive, right? He He's talking about Sammy's story. And then he says, I can be better than Sammy, basically. Uh-huh. I can condition myself to solve this murder. Yep. And that's a very interesting piece of Lenny that actually gives me some respect for him, but I kind of lose that respect because <laughs> it's just a mess of a, a storyline there with, with what he's working with and his condition. Yeah. First of all, I should say too, that Stephen Tobolowsky plays an amazing role in this as 
being this character in the background and, and the character that's held up to the so high esteem of, you know, Sammy Jenkins, kind of the savior of Lenny's life. He understands what Sammy is and what Sammy did wrong. And he's going to be different than Sammy. I mean, Stephen Tobolowsky does a great job in that little role of doing the same blank look, having the same memory loss kind of issues as Guy Pierce. And they have a lot of the same similarities with how they do things. Right. The, the character that Lenny plays and, and the way that Guy Pierce plays him going into every scene with the, the look like he understands everything that goes, that's going on, where his mind is actually just reaching out for anything it possibly can to hold on to. It's amazing. He's got this just absolute stoic look. But at the same time, you look in his eyes and you can just see the screaming of help of, I don't know what's happening. I am faking it, faking it, faking it, which is the story right. of, of Sammy Jenkins. He, Sammy Jenkins faked everything. And that's the reason why they wouldn't give him the insurance claim is because they're like, well, no, he's got to be learning something because he's got this look in his eyes like he understands what's going on. No, it's it's not. He's faking it just like Guy Pierce's. Right. And what I thought was interesting about that scene, it kind of ends with a very, very quick shot of Guy Pierce sitting where yeah. he was, yep. where Sammy Jenkins was. And I caught that. It was very quick. And I'm like, okay, while watching this movie, I need to watch out for things like that. It, it, it really only happens there at that end when his mind starts to, to cross wires again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a lot. It's 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 a lot that's in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the love interest, the femme fatale, if we will, of Natalie. <laughs> because here's another character that your vision of them or your view of them changes depending upon what scene is playing. Yeah. Love interest question mark. Mm-hmm. I, I guess is the ge- best way to put it. So the first time we see her is in the diner and she is sitting down with sunglasses on, which is a very noir feel, Uh right? And he is walking and he is about to walk past her and she grabs him very quick and he sits down. Yeah. Right. And then he is re-explaining his condition. And of course she's hurt it all. At one point she takes off her sunglasses And our first introduction is, okay, she's got a black eye. Yeah. Right. So immediately you see the effect without the cause. And now you're wondering where did that black eye come from? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that had to come from some drug dealing boyfriend or something or, or someone from the bar that night. So that's our first introduction to Natalie and on the picture that, Lenny had of her, it actually said, she will help you out of pity. Yes. Which is very interesting. And I think it's interesting because I believe he wrote that because she also lost someone. Yeah. Which is Jimmy Grants that we end up seeing at the end of the film. That he killed. (laughs) That he killed. Right. (laughs) Which brings me to something else. I mean, what I find interesting, what's kind of baffling to me is Lenny kills Jimmy Grants mm-hmm. puts on his suit yep. and takes his car. Yeah. And so what I'm wondering is she had to have known. Yep. Okay. <laughs> There's a scene that's later on in the film, earlier in the timeline, folks, we are doing the best we can here. Okay. He shows up outside of her bar and she sees it and she sees the car. She sees the suit. She leans down thinking it's Jimmy. And she's like, Oh, 
I'm sorry, I thought you were somebody else. Yeah, she knew from get-go, she knew from jump that here's a guy that's in the car, that's got the suit. It's very weird, it's very strange, and he's not reacting like there's anything wrong. So she's smart enough not to kind of play into it. She's scared, she's curious, she's she's a little on her heels, but that's why she has that entire conversation in the next scene where... You know, she's talking to him in the bar. He has the, the bet with the uh, the bar bet with the, the beer. And he is explaining his condition. And she's smart enough to put it all together. Like, oh, something happened to my boyfriend. He's got the clothes. He's probably the person that killed my boyfriend or has something to do with it. But he doesn't know. So she's trying to figure out what's going on as well. She's got a, a weird mystery here that she's trying to solve, too. She quickly puts it together, though, that... I've got a loaded weapon here who doesn't know his recent past and doesn't know that, you know, he's wearing my boyfriend's ex, my boyfriend's clothes and driving my boyfriend's car and he killed my boyfriend, but I'm going to use him to get revenge because she knows that even though he may have been the killer, he's no better than just a gun. That's all he is. Right. That whole dynamic with her is interesting. When you see her flip that switch Uh of I'm like this trustworthy young lady you can trust me because i have hurt too and i will help you out of pity mm-hmm. um, which is a very misleading picture and and note for him to put on that picture as well but even when he goes back out to his car not knowing that he is in jimmy grant's car in his suit he jumps in the car and there sits teddy yeah and teddy is sitting there and he is saying do not trust her yeah and what is very interesting about that is not only that, but Lenny pulls out a picture of Teddy and it says, do not trust him. He lies. <laughs> and so now you have this cycle going and you, you start to realize, man, nobody in this movie is trustworthy by any means. She is an incredible actor where she can just go out, be this trustworthy person and then come back in just as an evil person has <laughs> Lenny hit her in the face. Then you discover that she has this black eye uh-huh. and then goes back out to the car, comes back and tells him a completely different story to set him on a new path. Yep. Yeah. And this gets to the name of the movie too, is Memento. He can't rely on his memory. He says that memory is false. Memory is deceiving. He relies on things that he can trust his tattoos, his own handwriting, and yet, throughout the throughout the course of the movie, we're seeing that these mementos, these things that he is holding on to, these are things that are all lies. They are all lies. The tattoos are lies because they're based on something he's written at one point when he's had just a little bit of information, and that information changes. The notes he writes down, it, it's they're, they're pictures and notes that he's written down when he's felt a certain way. He writes down that you can't trust Lenny, you can't trust his lies when he's angry at Teddy. And that's, you know, he's, he writes two things on that one to set Teddy up to be killed by himself. His own handwriting is lying to him. His own facts are lying to him. It's, I think it's amazing, especially with the work that we do. You know, we, we work in an, an, a state agency that is based upon facts. We rely on facts of a case. And the facts that we rely on are going to be documents, are going to be uh, talking to people, are going to be things that people say, and our own memories, our own knowledge. This film says, the statement is, we can't trust what people say. I can only trust what I write down. 
but we watch as everything he writes down is a lie. (laughs) (laughs) And the only thing that you can trust is what people are telling you, because Teddy is probably the most trustworthy person in there. Yes, he's using he's using Lenny, but he still has got his best interest at heart. (laughs) And yet Teddy is the one who's always like not being listened to, not being trusted because of that one statement that he's written down. Right. What'd you think about Teddy? Teddy, I like Teddy. Immediately, my first impressions of him kind of remind me of like a Ned Ryerson from... Uh... <laughs> that's funny, because you just... Because Ned Ryerson is Stephen Tobolowsky's character. <laughs> that, that's Stephen Tobolowsky. <laughs> there you go. Um, but it, like Ned Ryerson from uh, Groundhog's Day was just so happy all the time. He just comes out. And uh, just starts talking to you like he's known you your entire life. Mm -hmm. And that's how Teddy goes. Teddy was also kind of annoying in that he knew Lenny wasn't going to remember stuff. And so he would mess with him or poke him a a little bit. But he was also a guardian angel in a lot of ways, which also screwed him over because Lenny had that picture that said, do not trust him. He tells lies. You kind of sort of like him but then you learn like oh his name is john gamble maybe he did kill lenny's wife Mm -hmm. maybe he did maybe he didn't i don't know and that's the mystery aspect to this movie that i really appreciate he he is a likable character but i think very quickly you can kind of put together that he's a cop yeah his overall motive of using lenny which I want to say he's one of the first people to kind of understand that Lenny is the best hitman for the job. So he sets him on these wild goose chases to kill drug dealers with the initials JG on there. And it's interesting because right at that last scene, he even says, you know how many JGs there are out there? He's like, my name is John Gamble. But then he shows him the one picture too. He says, here you go, this picture. This is when you actually caught and killed the guy who killed your wife. You were so happy. You did it. Right. But guess what? You don't remember it, do you? Right. And that was a baffling experience because I I was not ready for that. Because this whole movie, I'm thinking, I want him to get revenge, right? Only to find out that he's already gotten that revenge. He's gotten the revenge multiple times in multiple towns. Right. And he shows him this picture and not only did he just show him a picture, he was happy in that picture. Yes. He was shirtless. I believe he had blood on him and he was happy that he was able to avenge his wife's death only to do it all over again multiple times. Yeah. Let me ask you some overarching questions. Is there any scenes that you really loved or that really stuck out, stood out to you as enjoyable? So... I'm a sucker for a scene that is just absolutely funny to me. And I found myself laughing so hard when he was in the trailer park, yep. I believe. Yep. yep. And they were, you know, Jimmy Grants was shooting at him and none of the bullets were getting him, but he's running and he's like, okay, why am I running here? Yeah. And then he's like, oh, maybe I'm chasing that guy. So he starts chasing him and then he peers around the corner and pulls a gun and says, Nope. 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 Not chasing him. He's chasing him. And that that was Dodd. That was actually Dodd that was chasing him because Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy Grant's was already killed, but that was Dodd. Yeah. That scene, 
I remember that scene the first time I watched the movie. When it came back up, I was still laughing on that scene. It's just ridiculous. You know, he's running a trailer park. Why am I running? It's just, oh my God, you're in the middle of an action scene and you have one of your episodes. That's horrific. And we're laughing because it's like, this is just surreal at this point. This is insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, that is one of my, my favorite scenes too. I, I enjoyed that one. I always thought that was an absolute hilarious scene. <laughs> let me, let me ask you this. Is there any scenes that you didn't like? This would be hard and it's okay to say no, but I mean, is there any scenes that you didn't like or you thought didn't quite fit in? I think everything in that movie had a purpose. I mean, even the little snippets that we kind of talked about before, when you see Sammy Jenkins sitting there and then very briefly Lenny was sitting there. I mean, there was even a scene in there when they were showing his wife underneath that plastic sheet. And after Lenny had shot the guy off of her, she, you actually see her blink Mm -hmm. underneath that sheet. And you're like, you, you miss it. It's very, very brief. And you're like, wow, that's, incredible but that also tells you too that she wasn't dead she was actually alive she survived that attack right right it just everything in this movie had a purpose even the end when he's i want to say daydreaming about his wife mm-hmm. in the bed with him and what was interesting about that is he has all the tattoos on his body yeah and i believe one of the tattoos actually said i did it yeah and then the question is did what Did you kill your wife with an insulin overdose or did you kill JG? Both. (laughs) (laughs) It's so I, I would have to say every scene had a purpose. Everything in that movie had a purpose. I can't really pick out a scene that I did not like. Yeah. This is one of these well-crafted movies that has everything fits in there for a reason Every scene is there for a purpose. You you need these things to build up each of the characters, especially Lenny, so that they are a whole person. They may not see themselves at that as that whole person, but you as the audience need to. And I think this movie works really well in that aspect. We've mentioned it a couple times. This is a film noir. This is a classic noir film, noir mystery film with a femme fatale, with an overarching mystery, with a flawed and unreliable narrator. You have all of the elements of a great noir, and yet it's been absolutely rebuilt utilizing the the cutting of the scenes and the rearrangement of the scenes to present this new experience that you're having. It's very interesting, isn't it? It's a fantastic way to just watch a movie. I have to say, I've never seen another movie like it. And this deserves an honorable mention of, of course, on being on the top 10 best movies list, I would say. So, yeah, I I still haven't done yet, but the one copy I've got, there's a way you can play You you can get through the menu setup and watch the movie in chronological order. And I'm going to do that one of these days just so I could see it in that (laughs) chronological order. Cause, cause I've experienced it in the, in the way it was supposed to be presented, but yeah, I've got a good enough handle on it. I just want to see it in the real order so I can experience it fully. I totally had that thought after watching the movie. I'm like, I just want to watch this the way it was in, not intended, but yeah. so I can get the full grasp of it. Because, I mean, 
I, I would say the way this movie differs, you watch something like John Wick, right? Yeah. You experience cause and effect throughout the entire movie, and he gets his revenge, right? Spoiler alert. But in this movie, it's just shot in snippets, and you're learning, and then, but you don't know how it happens. So then you learn a little bit more, and you just keep going and plugging and playing. And it's just fantastic. I mean, could you imagine if John Wick was shot like this? That would be a terrible movie. Oh, <laughs> it, it, it can't work. That's the other piece that we should mention and before we get to rating this film is just this film works because of the story and the setup and the presentation. This is a slice of life that is told succinctly and, and within the confines of the world that the filmmaker is presenting it. You can't do this a lot. This is not one of these tricks that you can, you can use for other films willy nilly. You need to find another story to set something like this in, but it's, it really shows you the flexibility that film can provide a competent director if he's willing to break some of the boundaries and break some of the narratives and utilize this medium in ways that we are not comfortable with or are prepared for sometimes. Mm -hmm. So with that said, let's rate this film. I think I've got a guess, but I'm going to I'm, I'm going to still put it out in front of you. How many full bags of popcorn would you give this one through five? Five being the best, one being the worst. I think this movie and all of its uniqueness, just the way it was shot, the the storytelling in it, the way you're able to relate to the character, and the depressing realization that I feel like we all, in some way, shape, or form, lie to ourselves and give ourselves a sense of purpose. I think this movie is a five full bag of popcorns out of five. I am right there with you. This has always been one of my favorite films. It's one that you can't rewatch a lot of times, but it's one you can throw in every few years to remind yourself how good it is and how enjoyable it is. And just looking at the characters and how they run, this is a five star for me as well. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad I changed my mind and gave you something different when we first started talking on this. Well, this had to be one of the most difficult movies to talk about, <laughs> you know, especially for me, because you ever try to explain a movie like this to your friends? It's. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean, I started off this by kind of saying, OK, so how are we going to talk about it? we need to stop everything and explain how this film is presented and then move from there. It. It's one of those films you can't explain that well. You just have to say, it is a film noir. You have to see it to believe it. Right. And folks, if you haven't seen it out there, I know we spoiled the heck out of it, but it still is worth a watch. It still is fascinating to see how this is put together and to how how you can walk through the film. It's one that you might need to watch once or twice just to get through, though. You might need to see it a couple times to get through it. But... <laughs> That's all we really want to talk about for this film now. Normally, I would allow my guests to say where they're at in the internet, but, you know, Jason's a private guy. He's uh, He's got his own little mystery that he's trying to solve, and he can't really remember much anyway, so he wouldn't be able to tell you what his Twitter handle is. So we weren't going to ask him to provide that information to us. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at JeffRickPresent or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with... Um, Oh, hang on a second. Hang on. I, for, I forgot his name. Uh, uh, hang on. Hang on. Okay. According to this tattoo, I host with some guy named Jeff, and I am not to trust his lies. Huh. 
Oh, well, if you'd like to be on this show, please feel free to contact me. You can also reach me at Jeff and Rick present all one word at gmail.com. And thank you to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use their attic of their headquarters to broadcast my show and also to their sponsor Omaha Bound. Remember, right now they are not doing any of their personal bindings, but they still have some things on their websites that you can buy in the future. After this one year where they're taking a break off, you should be able to get back in touch with Omaha Bound and they will go ahead and bind up any of your comics or other essentials so you have your own mementos for the future. I'd also like to thank the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network. If you would like to support it, please head on over to Patreon and search for The Longbox Crusade. That's all the time we have for you today. Grab some popcorn, hold a seat, because we'll be back soon with another episode. Music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at JoeSefflin99. That's J O S E F L I N 99.